0: Father in heaven, we thank you. Father in Heaven, we thank you for gathering us again, and Lord, we thank you for the, the reading of your word and for prayer, for the singing of your word. We also thank you for the proclaiming, the heralding of your word. Its native language, which is heralding, announcing, declaring. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would bless the preaching of your word this morning that it would be faithful not to add or take away anything that you would say to your people through your word, and we pray that we would be faithful to receive the words of our God. And I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse 30. So Mark 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, after Matthew. And we're going to begin at verse 30. You may wonder, why are we starting at verse 30? I thought Jordan was supposed to preach 30 to 32 last week. You can ask him why that didn't happen. Mark 9. Beginning at verse 30, this is God's word. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, and he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus said, to him, Jesus said Do not stop him. For no one does a mighty work in my name who does a mighty work in my name will soon will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Truly I say to you whoever whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled or uh, uh, it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And every week that you are here, as you get older, you will learn more and more and you will understand more and more. There will be lots of things you don't understand now. That's fine. Some people will say, well, then you shouldn't be here. But you can understand lots now even. You can remember this story. You can remember that Jesus told the disciples, he told them that he was going to die for sins. But that after he was dead, three days later he would rise from the dead. You can remember that Jesus told the disciples that. And also you can remember that the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. You can also remember that when they were walking on the road, the disciples were talking. And they were talking quietly so that Jesus wouldn't hear them. And then when they got to the house, Jesus asked them, what were you guys talking about? And they were kind of embarrassed to answer Jesus because they were arguing about who was best. And then Jesus took a child, and he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last. And he says, whoever receives a child in my name, or because that child trusts in me, that is great. And he's not, you're not receiving just that child. You're saying that you receive Jesus. And he's saying, not only are you receiving Jesus, that that you belong to God because you trust in Jesus. And you can also remember that the disciples were very upset because there was a man who wasn't one of the 12 disciples, and he trusted in Jesus. And he was trying to rescue people from evil by speaking Jesus' name. And the disciples were very upset because, you know, he's not one of us. We should stop him. And Jesus says, do not stop somebody from doing that, because there's really only two options. You can either be against Jesus, or you can be for Jesus. Now, what we need to see here, well, first of all, before I I, I say that, this is essentially a two-part sermon. I will be preaching this morning from verse 30 to 41. And the next week, Lord willing, we'll be doing 42 to 50. It's a two-part sermon. And the reason it's two parts is because there's too much to say. But the reason we say it's not just two sermons, but a two-part sermon, is these, these passages kind of go together. I wonder if you notice that there's similar themes in there. There's lots of talk about child, children, right? Child, children. The question about greatness is, is a big question. Great in the kingdom. So essentially, these two sermons, these two texts together are answering the question, in the kingdom of heaven, what's great and what's shameful? What is great in the kingdom of heaven? What is considered great and honorable in the kingdom of heaven or in God's eyes? And what is considered absolutely shameful? So this morning, we get the first part. What is considered great? What is is greatness in the kingdom of God. And there we begin with this passage that Jordan failed to preach last week. (laughs) He didn't fail in preaching it, to be fair. He failed to preach it, which would be way different. All right, 30 to 32. Let's read this. I'll just say the point here. Christ is great because he suffered to make enemies children. Christ is great because he suffered... To make enemies children. Let's read thirty to thirty-two. Then they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he didn't want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. The first point, as I said, is Christ is great. Because he suffered to make enemies children. Christ is great. One of the questions that the disciples were asking is who is the greatest? They were deciding amongst themselves who's greater. Is it Matthew? Is it Mark? Not Mark, because he wasn't one of the disciples. Is it Matthew? Is it John? Is it Peter? They were arguing amongst themselves which one is greatest. And And the irony is that Jesus is the greatest. And they didn't understand this. For on the same journey that Jesus was telling them that he would die for sinners and then be raised from the dead to reign over all things, in that same journey that Jesus was talking about, how he would humble himself to the point of death, to the cross, they're arguing about who should be great amongst themselves. They missed it. And you remember that the disciples had a sort of partial understanding of the fact that Jesus was Messiah. They knew that Jesus was the Lord of all. They knew that Jesus was the King of kings. They knew that he was the highest of high's. They knew that he would reign over all the earth. They read the Old Testament passages that talked about how the Christ, the Messiah, would reign over all things and how God would arise with his might, put all of his enemies to flight. They knew this was Jesus. They knew that all rebellion on, on, in heaven and on earth would be put to rest under Jesus' mighty rule. They knew it was Jesus. They were right about that. They understood that. Jesus was great in that sense. He would reign over all things, and He's worthy of praise and worship and honor and glory. They knew that about Him. And Jesus continues to tell them, I will suffer and die. And remember, just a few weeks ago, we saw Peter rebuking Jesus. Don't say that. You don't understand the gospel very much, Jesus. You will not die. You're not going to die. Don't die. And here, they're going through, they're, they're walking through Galilee. Did you notice that? And he didn't want anyone to know. He knew that if people knew that he was in Galilee, they'd try to make him king. They'd try to put a crown on that man. We want you to be king. And he would not take the crown until he had suffered. He wouldn't take the the, the crown without the cross. This was very important to him. Jesus will reign because of the cross. What does God the Father find to be glorious and beautiful? Beautiful. If we look at human history, what is the single greatest event, the single act in human history by a human that God the Father looks on and says, that's the most glorious thing, the most beautiful thing, the most praiseworthy thing, the highest honor and praise and glory deserve to the man who did that thing. That is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the highest glory The glorious, the most glorious thing that anyone has ever done. In a way, we speak of the cross as being shameful, and it's true because Christ took on shame. But more than that, the cross is itself glorious. In John chapter 12, we'll see this is true. John 12, 27. You can read along if you want, or you can just hear me read it. John 12, 27. Now, this is Jesus saying this. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come into this world. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. John 13, in the next, uh, in the next chapter, John thirteen thirty one. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now... Now, he's talking about the cross, he's heading to the cross. Now is the Son of Man glorified. That's the title for the Messiah, the Son of Man. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The cross was glorious in God's sight. If you think about what was the most praiseworthy action. The most honorable thing that was ever done in human history, done by a human, remember Christ took on flesh to become a human, done by a human, God would not hesitate to answer, the cross. What is glorious about your Son, God the Father? The cross. How do we know this? Let's go to Philippians 2. We already read it this morning. Philippians 2, 4 to 11 what is glorious to the Father? What would He find praiseworthy? What does He want His Son to be praised for for eternity? What songs will be singing about Christ for eternity? Why does He give the Son of Man, Jesus the Son of God, who took on flesh as a human, why does He give Him in His human nature? Why is He giving Him a crown? Philippians 2 verse 4, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, in other words, for this reason, for the things that I just finished saying, for that reason... Therefore, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to notice here in verse 9. Jesus became obedient to God to the point of death. But notice he says, even death on a cross. He's drawing our attention to the fact that all humans die, every human dies. But Christ didn't just die, he was damned. God damned Christ. God poured his wrath out on Christ. He cursed Christ with a billion curses. Why? What he found glorious about Christ was that Christ took responsibility for those under His authority. Christ took responsibility for those under His authority. Two things. Number one, for the glory of God, that those people, in those people, under his authority, that those people would glorify God, that those in, in those people, God would be glorified. That's the first thing. And secondly, for the good of those people, he took responsibility in two ways. That for those under his authority, that they would glorify God, that God would be glorified through them, and secondly, that they would be blessed positively. Christ took obedience for things that, he he took responsibility for things that weren't his fault. Christ was punished for sins he didn't commit. He was punished for sins, to use the word that the Bible uses, for sins that his bride committed, the church. They weren't his fault. He didn't commit those sins. But he took responsibility for that. The church is without righteousness. There's God's law. We look at it. We haven't kept it. We have no righteousness to offer God. And he made us to glorify, obey, and enjoy him. And we haven't done it. We haven't obeyed God. The church is without righteousness. And that's a huge problem. And Christ, loving the church from before the foundation of the world, says, I will take responsibility for the fact that my bride has no righteousness. And so he becomes a human so that he can obey God's law under a human law as a human. He can obey it. He obeys it perfectly and accomplishes all righteousness. The, The law of God has been fulfilled. He's done it. It's done. Here's righteousness. And what does he do? Does he say reward me for this? He says give my righteousness to my bride. Like royal robes that he has accomplished. Here's my record. He takes it off. He gives it to his bride and says bless her for what I've done. He says to his bride, There's your righteousness. I did it for you. Here it is. You can stand before God wearing my righteousness. You didn't have any righteousness. I went and got some for you, and I gave it to you. But we have another problem. Not only did the bride of Christ have no righteousness, negatively, she had unrighteousness. It's not that she just hadn't kept the law, she broke the law. That's a problem. She deserves the wrath of God. She deserves to be damned eternally. And Christ loved her and said, I'll take the responsibility for that too. That too. And so he goes to the cross and says, treat me the way you would have treated her. He bears the wrath of God for his bride. Not his fault, but his responsibility. The Father sent him before the foundation of the world This is a commitment that the Son had made to the Father. I will do this. And the Father finds that beautiful. There's nothing in heaven or on earth that is more glorious to the Father than this. This is great. This is great. And it is for this reason, remember we saw in Philippians 2, for this reason, for this reason, after Christ is raised from the dead, Christ is ascended 40 days later. He's ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God and there, from, from there he reigns over all things. He reigns over Christians. He reigns over non-Christians. He reigns over giraffes and walruses and everything else. And he reigns for the glory of God and the good of his bride. He takes responsibility for what was not his fault for those who are under his responsibility. This is beautiful. This is glorious. Jesus Christ came to serve and not be served. That's greatness in the eyes of God. Now this is not that he isn't the authority. He is the authority. He is the Lord God omnipotent reigning. But he reigns for the glory of God and the good of His bride. He exercises authority over His bride. There's no confusion who's in charge, Jesus or the church. It's ridiculous. He is, but He uses His authority that she would glorify and enjoy God. He is an authority. He is the authority. This is glorious to God. God. Let's continue to read here. We're going to take uh, some more here before we finish this point. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. What is great in God's eyes is that Christ carries the church. And he receives helpless people. He saves helpless people. Children are helpless. That's who we are. He saves helpless people. God does not help those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. It's wicked. That verse comes from Satan 3.16, not God's word. God does not help those who help themselves. He helps those who cannot help themselves. Children, he says here. Anyone who feels that they deserve a spot... doesn't doesn't have one. If you believe you're ahead in the line, you're not in the line. If you believe that maybe you're in the middle of the line and there's some people who deserve this less than you, you're not in the line. Who is the greatest? Christ is the greatest. And why is he the greatest? Why does God say that's great? Because he became the least. And this is great. And if this is great, and it is, this view of greatness and of shame is in the heart of the gospel, and it will affect how the church itself acts. And the irony is that because this is greatness, it made it even more inappropriate for those disciples to be arguing about who is great, the greatest on the way. That does take us to our second point, which is being a child of God is great. Our first point, kids, let's remember this, is Jesus is great because he suffered to make enemies children. Why is Jesus great? Because he suffered to make enemies children. That's why Jesus is great. Our second point is this. Being a child of God is great. If Jesus is the greatest, what is the the next thing, the next best position you could have? What is the second position you could have, The, the next highest position in heaven and on earth, the most glorious position under Christ? What is the next most glorious thing to be? To be a child of God. To be a Christian. To belong to God. I want us to notice here this, this phrase, the name of Christ. Did you notice that in verse 37? Whoever receives one such child in my name. Notice the grounds that that person is received. The person is a child and they are received in the name of Christ. In verse, 40, verse 41, we, saw, we see that as well. Verse Let me just read that. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Let's go bump up to verse 38. This rogue exorcist the disciples were very frustrated with. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. You see the theme here all the way through? The name of Christ. Now what is it to be received based on Christ's name? Now, we all have different names, right? My name is Derek Johan de Vries. I'm pretty proud of that middle name. It's very very Dutch. It's my name. Now, it's actually not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about name. When we talk about reputation, that's closer to what the Bible means when it says name. When we talk about a person's accomplishments, that's more what the Bible is talking about with name. So essentially, if we were talking about name, it's kind of like your, your resume, Your record. Your CV. This is closer to what the Bible means when it says your name. Or things that legally are yours. It is in my name. Things that have legal legal grounds or position. The only way a person will be received by God is in Christ's name. You can either... Face God in your own name or Christ's name? Let me assure you that if you stood before God based on your name, you would go to hell eternally. And let me also assure you is that when it happened, you won't argue. You will not disagree with God. You will agree. Yes, you're right. If you stood before God in your own name, you would go to hell Christ took your name on the cross if you're a Christian That's why Christ was damned He took your name, your reputation, your accomplishments, your your failure to keep God's law. He took that on himself and bearing your name, he was damned To be a Christian is to receive Christ's name It's to say, I need Christ to take mine, and I need—I need His name. I need to swap records with Him. What could be greater than to be received by God, having Christ's name? Can you think of anything else? Line up all the humans in human history. And I'm going to put Jesus in there because Jesus was a real human. He was God and then he became a human. He didn't stop being God, but he became a real human just like us, except without sin. If we line up all the humans in the history of humanity, line them all up. Who would you be most excited to see standing before God and getting what they deserve? Who? Jesus is at the front of that line. Can you imagine what that would look like for God the Father to reward Christ for what he has done based on his name? Could you imagine? What wouldn't he give him? When would that be finished? When would that award ceremony be finished? When would God the Father finish giving Christ all things? How long would that take? It looks like an eight, but you flip it on its side. Infinity. That will never end. The reward of Christ for His suffering, for His obedience and His righteousness, God the Father giving Him that reward, His, do His name, that position, there's nothing greater than that. There'll never be a time when God is saying, I think that's enough praising Jesus for that. Uh, You know, I think I've honored Him. Just one measure too much. That will never happen. And so, dear friends, If you are a Christian, you have Christ's name. What could be more honorable, what could be more glorious than to stand before God wearing Christ's name? And so, we need to realize that there is no greater honor in heaven and on earth To be than to be a child of God. Simply to trust in Christ. To bear his name. Now, Christ is answering the question about what is great. Who is great? The next point is going to be that greatness is measured in how you treat God's children. But first, we need to understand this point that it is great to be a child of God. That is great. And not just like, "Uh, how are you doing, great? No, great is in the greatest. To know that treating a child of God with honor is true greatness. You first need to know and actually believe, get it sinking in your skin and deep down to your heart, that it is a great honor to simply be a child of God. Or you won't find serving them and accepting them to be an honor, to be a true act of greatness. What is the greatest honor, the most glorious position available to created humans in the kingdom of heaven, in the church? What is the greatest position? Is it a missionary? Is it a pastor? Is it an elder or deacon? Is it an author? Maybe it's a a Christian politician who makes great changes. Maybe it's the one who gives the most money. No. It is simply to be a child of God. To be the king's son or daughter. That child was received in the name of Christ because they bear the name of Christ. And he bore their record and so we receive his. No one earns or achieves this title. No one deserves it less and no one deserves it more. I want to apply this to us for a little bit there are many pastors and leaders who have a very shameful view of being a Christian. They think there's something that must be added in order to be somebody worth delighting in, somebody worth celebrating, somebody worth treasuring, somebody worth honoring. I'm just going to paint a picture. I'm not going to be able to hit everything here, so... What about a young man who repents of sin and trusts in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation? He joins a church. He prepares himself spiritually, learns learns doctrine and trains himself in holiness, and he seeks godly counsel from the men in his church. He prepares himself for a career. He intentionally finds and marries a woman who will be a helper to him and a good mom to his kids, a a woman who will be able to teach his kids the gospel. He marries that woman, and he praises God for the children that God gives them. He uses his time and his money and his skills to care for his family, and he glorifies God in a job that no one is jealous of. And he faithfully prepares his family to go to church every Lord's Day. He teaches his kids the truths of God's Word. He shepherds their hearts with the gospel of Christ. He loves his wife and is faithful to her. He repents when he sins and he does sin. He loves his church. He opens his home to his church family. He's a good witness in his neighborhood for the gospel of Christ. Never becomes a church leader. Never an elder or a deacon. No one other than his church or his family know about him or even talk about him. But he loves the Lord. And he addresses God as his father because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. There is nothing greater than that. There is nothing greater than that. There are other things in the kingdom of heaven, other people who do other things, you know, other men who have different lives, other women who have different lives. Those are, those are great. But none of those things are greater than that. This is glorious. This is great. Why? This is a child of God acting like a child of God. A selfless single lady who is a Christian who would love to be married but hasn't found a godly man to marry, And so she uses all of her extra time to serve her nephews and nieces and her parents and the church family. Is there anything greater than that? Nothing other than Christ is greater than that. A Christian family who loves the Lord, studies His Word, loves to hear and sing the gospel, struggles month to month to pay their bills, but love holiness Is there anything greater than that? Any higher honor to which we could attain? No. A Christian mom who has dishonored herself in the eyes of the world by focusing on her children to nurture and care and serve them and teach them of the glories of Christ. Is there anything more glorious than that? There are other positions than that, but is there anything more glorious than that? No. Unless you are Christ. This is lovely and precious in God's sight. This is the miracle of an enemy becoming a child of God. God. God's child. By receiving the name of Christ. This is a person who bears Christ's name. This is great. And a pastor who does not see this as great and glorious, as the highest honor and beautiful, has no right to be a pastor. He cannot be trusted with God's sheep. He cannot be trusted with the Lord's children. Imagine a servant of the king's children thinking that he is greater than the king's children. How? Could you imagine the king walking into that room? What would he do to that servant? These are my children. I hired you because, they're, because I love them. Yes, a pastor also has to be a child of God, but so essentially two titles in that sense. You're a pastor and you're also a child of God. But if you think that the greater title is pastor or elder or deacon or ministry leader or whatever it is, if you think that title you wear is better than that, that one, you don't understand the gospel. You might not be a Christian. We must begin by recognizing the sweetness, the glory, the greatness of simply being a child of God, a bearing Christ's name, of being clothed in Christ's righteousness, of having your sins forgiven by Christ, sharing in the relationship with God that Christ alone deserves by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is foundational to what actions would be considered great in the kingdom or in the church, what actions would be considered lovely and what actions would be considered shameful in the kingdom. You first have to understand that Jesus is great, not because he gets his way, Jesus is great because he died for the church. Next, that simply to be a child of God, simply, is great. Full stop. And then we can go on to see the other things. You see this? The next one is, it is great to receive someone because they bear Christ's name. It is great to receive someone because they bear Christ's name. Notice that the child is received because they bear Christ's name. This tells you what you think about Christ, and, and Jesus says this, this tells you not just what you think about that child, but what you think about Christ, and how you think about Christ tells you what you think about God, right? He says, those who receive the child in my name not just doesn't receive just the child, but receives me, and if you receive me, you're not just receiving me, you're receiving God as Father. Now notice in 38 to 41, it's beautiful that the Lord puts these things together. He's going to read it again for us. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What was the problem here? Now we can get distracted about exorcisms and all those sorts of things, but the problem here is that there's a man who bore Christ's name. A man who, from what we can see, trusted in Jesus. Not his own name, but Christ's name. And he was using God's name to rescue people from evil. He was using Christ's name, the gospel of Christ, Christ's name to rescue people from evil. And the disciples, to them, that wasn't enough. Bearing Christ's name, that wasn't enough for the disciples. They felt he was in competition. The problem is they've got this line in mind, like he might be stepping in front of us. Doesn't he know he's behind us in line? The most important question should have been, and it's a good question, does this man actually belong to you, Jesus? That's a good question. Does this man actually belong to you? Rather than does he follow us? Now, there are false interpretations of this passage, and I feel like it's important to address them. The false interpretation is so long as someone claims to be a Christian, you must approve of everything they do. Somebody says. Or if somebody claims to be a Christian, that you must accept all their teaching, you just leave them alone, let them teach whatever they want, so long as they say they're a Christian. It's not true. We have too many passages in Scripture that condemn that. <clears throat> what we need to notice here <clears throat> is that there is no mention that this man taught a false gospel, that he had different doctrine than the apostles or of Jesus. The problem is that the name of Christ wasn't enough for the apostles. To teach what the apostles taught, to teach what Jesus taught, to believe in the gospel they taught, wasn't enough for them. Now, in a sense, anybody who is opposed to the apostles of Jesus, who teaches differently than the apostles of Jesus, will go to hell. It's true. They were his official messengers and they essentially wrote the New Testament. If you disagree with the apostles on the gospel or anything they taught, you're wrong and you should repent. So they are rejected by God if you reject what the apostles teach. The, The problem here with the apostles is not what this man was teaching. We have every reason to believe he was teaching the same thing they were. The problem is that the name of Christ wasn't enough for them to accept someone that's a problem. Let's apply that. Who do you accept as a brother or sister in Christ? Who do you welcome? Who are you happy to see when they come to church? Who do you count it an honor to be with? If you read the book of First John, this is going to be a mark of who is actually a Christian. Who would you count it an honor to be with? Who would you count it an honor to treat as a Christian? If you don't get that right, you're not likely a Christian. It's a mark of a Christian. If you receive someone in his name as somebody who you would receive as a fellow heir, somebody who would agree, you have the highest position available for a human, and I count it an honor to belong to you, for you to call me brother and sister and for me to call you brother or sister. It means that you love brothers and sisters of Christ simply, simply and precisely because they bear his name. That's enough for you to honor, welcome, receive. Now how do we break this? Sometimes we are more likely to receive, to welcome, to greet, to treat and honor Christians who have the same interests as us and the same hobbies, perhaps the same ethnicities as us, the same jobs, the same lifestyles. And the Bible says that if this is true for you, you need to repent. And if you do not repent, when you hear this correction, you're not likely a Christian. You receive, because you're receiving Christ. That doesn't mean you're getting saved. You know, there's a way you receive Christ by faith. But what he's saying here is, if you reject that person, if you say, that's not good enough to be counted honorable to me, what you're saying is, Christ isn't good enough to be honored to me, because they bear his name. Somebody wearing Christ's robes of righteousness Christ has Christ's uh, accomplishments, Christ's reputation, Christ's CV, his resume, and you look at that person, it's like, that's not really good enough. What you're saying is, Christ isn't good enough. That's what he's saying when you say, if you receive, he says, you receive me, uh, them, you receive me, you receive me, the one who sent me. You don't have God if you do not think Christ is glorious enough to honor that person. Shows what you think of Christ. How is this shown? How is this shown? Our last point will be a short one. By serving people in his name. By serving people in his name. Let's see this in verse 35. Did you notice? He says, And sat down and he called the twelve, unto them he said, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. We see this, that you're servant of all, because you consider yourself Last. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said about what what position he held in the church? He said, I am the what of sinners? The chief of sinners. He puts himself in the last. He says, there's no one who deserves this less than me. And so he serves. That's why he serves. Verse 41, we see the same thing as well. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his Reward. What is wonderful here is Jesus is talking to the disciples who were apostles. These are the men who would lead the church and if you don't agree with their teaching, you go to hell. That's, that's a pretty important position. But Jesus says, whoever, does not, whoever receives you or whoever gives you a cup of water because you're an apostle, somebody says. He says, whoever gives you a cup of water because you are Mine. Simply because you are a Christian, this is what he's saying. This is great. What is praiseworthy? It is a beautiful action to serve someone because they belong to Christ, where you see the honor of Christ. And you say, none of us deserve this honor more or less than each other. So you see the honor of Christ and then you see it is received by that person simply by faith. And so they bear the honor of Christ. They bear the name of Christ. You say, I, I recognize that person as a Christian. I see it as a lovely and glorious thing to serve them. And Christ and the Father look down on that and say, that, that is great. That is great. That is praiseworthy. If you do that, I'll never let you forget it. Remember the the lady who adorned Christ, who anointed Him with the perfume before His death? What does he say? Everyone who becomes a Christian will be reminded of what she did. I won't let anybody not know about it. This is praiseworthy, to serve people simply because they belong to Christ. Dear friends, do you believe that it is an honor to be here this morning, to be with this ragtag group of people of a bunch of different nations and languages in this rinky-dink part of Winnipeg and a rinky-dink part of the world. Do you believe that this is the highest honor available to be amongst the family of God? I'm sitting beside a Christian. I'm sitting beside someone who bears Christ's name. Do you believe that coming to church, being welcomed as a child of God, as a family member, you think that is the gl- most glorious thing? I've got to get to church. I want to be with Christians. Not because they are worthy, but because they bear Christ's name, and that is glorious. I can't wait to be with the church. Or do you consider it a burden? And maybe you might be tempted to spend more time with people in the church who are more like you same skin color same same native language same hobbies maybe same age stage economic status you know we we have similar taste and hobbies because our expense our, our hobbies are very expensive serving indiscriminately is how you show you really understand the glory of the gospel serving indiscriminately I don't care about anything about that person other than they are Christian and I will serve them because of that. This is going to be costly often at times. It costs you your reputation. In the book of Hebrews, we have a church that suffered because there was people who were put in jail for being Christians, for disobeying the government and they were put in jail and then those other Christians knew as soon as they visited those other Christians in jail, what would happen? Their own homes would be plundered. Their own homes would be set on fire and their stuff stolen. And what did they do? They visited them in jail because they thought there's nothing more glorious than that person because they belong to Christ. And I want people to know that they are mine and I am theirs because we, none of us deserve what we have. Christ does and we both have the position that Christ deserves. How is it that we stir our... This is hard. How is it that we stir our affections for this? Because we're not going to do this unless we're convinced in our souls that this is true. We start by looking back at verse 30. They went on from there and they passed through Galilee and he didn't want anyone to know. He didn't want anybody to put a crown on him yet. He was teaching the disciples saying... To them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. This is how you stir your affections for that. You think about what is glory. You gaze at Christ. Set your eyes on him. Look at him. Consider what God thinks is most glorious. His Son suffering for enemies and making them children of God. Delight in Him. Meditate on Him. Consider the Gospel. Praise Him for it. Recognize that, like Paul, you are chief of sinners. What that means is there's nobody behind you in the line who deserves it less than you. And then you will see the church, the family of God, those who are just Christians. You will consider them a very honorable person. And to be with them would be quite an honor. And if I could serve them in any way, I would find that a very honorable thing, as glorious even more so than serving the richest, most powerful, most accomplished person who's ever lived. Look on Christ. Do you think that's glorious? Many people will hear this gospel and think, that's disgusting. What a shame. I don't deserve that. Damnation, hell, wrath? What are you doing? You're cramping my style. Stop that. Second Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, Paul says that it will be the stench of death for those who are perishing. You'll hear that and you will disagree with God where God finds the most glorious thing that have ever happened, the most glorious news that could ever be shared. Christ was damned for his church, then he died, he stayed dead for three days, he rose from the dead, forty days later, he ascended into heaven, he reigns over all things, he will return to crush all of God's enemies, to pour out the wrath of God, to end rebellion. But those who he's already died for will not be crushed by his reign, but by lifted by it. You hear that and you say, That's that's shameful. It's the stench of death. Dear friends, if that is the stench of death, you you are perishing. You are going to hell. That is, that is surely, that is proof that you are going to hell unless you turn. And God gives you eyes to see this as the aroma of life. Oh, pray that God would change your eyes, give you a heart to see that this is most glorious. Agree with God. There's nothing more great than what Christ did And no position you could aspire to than to simply stand before God on judgment day and say, I am his, and he is mine. And all these silly people around me, they are too. And I don't deserve it any more than any of us, any of them. Repent and believe in the gospel. Humble yourself, and he will exalt you. To the place that Christ deserves. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we rejoice that you didn't give us a Savior we would find beautiful, that we would find glorious, but one that you did, the one who would die for us, who would ransom us with his life. We are grateful that you find that glorious and beautiful and that that was the reason you exalted Christ to the highest place, the King of all kings. That is the song we will be singing for eternity. That is why we are called to crown Him. Lord, I pray that that gospel would transform what we find to be beautiful, what we find to be honorable, what we think you will be pleased with. And Father, would you work that in us by your spirit? We would not be able to well that up in ourselves. That would be a gift of your spirit, and I pray that you would do that. In Christ's name, amen.